Right, yo, folks. Okay, so in this uh, session, alhamdulillah, today we are, or tonight rather, we are in uh, Karachi, uh, or as Mark Wins would say, Karachi. Yeah, you know, one thing I forgot to mention in that, that video is that he keeps saying desi ghee. He loves saying, I can taste the desi ghee. The desi ghee. I can't believe I forgot to say that, man. That would have made it really authentic. But anyway, shalom. But alhamdulillah, we did our, we did our fard yani, to Mark Weens' recommendations. We went to Nali Biryani. It was all right. It was all right. The Nali was nice. The Biryani was like normal, right? Imran? Yeah. Yeah. The Biryani was nothing to write home about. But yeah, and once you add the Nali to it, then it added some, something a bit special. And definitely the size of that Nali was like, you know, knockout. That was something a bit special. Obviously, we are used to all our, our, our the majority of people watching this, they never seen Nelly that big before. Yeah, I mean, the majority of us when we see Nelly is probably the size of my fingertip. Because we eat mutton, obviously, and we get a little tinku on the yani that comes out after killing it. Yeah? But then this one, we did yani, he's just stuck the, the, the spoon in, and this whole big flipping thing came out, the size of my flipping hand it was. <laughs> it was some action. It was some, and the guy was funny as well. The Lala who was there. Anyway, right, so today's Hissa uh, uh, is the end of the current translated session. And in the Arabic, it says the Imam, Imam uh, Al Hajawi, alayhi rahmatullah, he says, Right, so. We won't get to that particular final sentence, but these initial three sentences is our, uh, is our focus. Then he raises his head whilst making takbir. And he sits in a position where his left foot is whereas his right foot is in a state of nasab. So his left foot is muftarishan, right foot is in state of nasab, which just for the sake of yani for now is this. Okay? Flat on the floor is the is the left foot, which you sit upon, as we all know, and then the right foot is now sticking upwards. You know, the toes are like like this, and it's as straight as possible. That's what the actual text explains. I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a minute. And then he says, My Lord, forgive me, forgive me. My Lord, forgive me. That's all he says in the text. So, that's the that's the actual text itself. Sheikh Al Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, in Sharh Al Mumtiq, in his actual explanation of this, uh, we're on page one hundred and twenty-six at the top. He goes, okay. So as for what he says, thumma yarfa i.e., what that means is that he will make takbir, as we've been saying all the way through, whilst he gets up. And we've indicated yani, a number of times that it is actually really important to make sure that the timing of the takbir is done correctly. Because if it's done in the wrong place, then it enters into the rukan, the, the pillar of that uh, particular action. So what you see sometimes, 
And obviously individuals would probably make this mistake all the time, but unfortunately we have to pick on the Imams because that's the only one that we can observe, right? Because that's what we're hearing and sometimes we're seeing. The mistake would be that the Imam is in the Sajda and you know the problem is is that they're on a microphone, aren't they? Right? And so because they don't have the microphone to the to the you know the wireless one, and so because they're doing it on this position here. I have to say to you, because they are being restricted by the actual microphone, there's maybe a little bit of space. We've already said that, Sheikh Uthameen himself said that, although it's clear that the fuqaha want the takbir to be done in the right place, but it's not going to invalidate the position. So for example, we know that if you're in sajda, you should say, Allahu Akbar, like that. So it starts when you're coming up, and it ends before you sit yani, up. Or it ends before you go into sujood. Or it ends before you go into ruku'ah. Wherever the takbir is, all of these takbirs are called takbiratul intiqal. Right? They are called takbiratul intiqal. Because we have two types of takbir in the salah. The first one is takbir tahrim, which is the Allahu Akbar to enter into the prayer. That makes everything haram. The second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and every other takbir that follows in the prayer, they all belong to the second group. They, they are the takbirs of movement. The takbiratul intiqal, okay, or, or takbiratul naqal. So these yani ones, these all these other takbirat, they are with movement. They have to be associated with movement. So the next one that's going to occur is when going to ruku'ah. So if you are saying, Allahu Akbar, so you know, you finish your, your surah, ulam yakul lahu kufwan ahad, Allahu Akbar, and then you go into ruku'ah, this is wrong. Is that clear? It's got to be, Allahu Akbar. So it goes into the movement. And then Allahu Akbar. It's a flowing process. Now, as we said before, that obviously to get this exactly spot on can sometimes be out. And you might start whilst you're still standing. You might finish when you're thinking. So we should be relaxed that it's not going to invalidate the prayer, but it's not the right way to do it. And an Imam is under greater pressure because, of course, the Imam can't be seen. By the majority of the jama'ah. So if he doesn't get this right, he puts the rest of the people under the threat of making sajda before him, which is of course prohibited. Any act of the prayer where you get to the position before the imam is a major problem, right? Now, if that's happening because it's the imam's fault, then the imam takes responsibility. Yani if, for example, in the front line, every person who goes to sajda before the imam deserves beats because that's disgraceful. He's right there in front of you. If the guy is getting it wrong in terms of timing his takbir and his uh, sajda, at least you can see he hasn't gone to sajda. What is your rush that you need to go and collapse into sajda before he does? But second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth line, they are basing their actions upon a combination of what's happening in the lines in front plus what we can hear. The imam, if he is Rabbana wa lakal hamd, Allahu Akbar, and then he slowly comes on down to the floor like an old man, Okay, and he's made the takbir up here. The people who are in a normal position, they'll be down in there. You, you, you might get my point. So that's the only what needs to be controlled. So here, the, uh, Sheikh Uthameen is reminding us that when you come up from the, the sajda, it's Allahu Akbar, and you're now sitting. Allahu Akbar, yani beginning. Now, I just mentioned that what about an imam who has the microphone situation? I think that it's okay for him to delay it slightly, meaning that he's going to get up to the microphone and he's going to go, Allahu Akbar. You got what I'm trying to say? Right? I don't like the idea that he goes, Allahu Akbar. 
I think he should try to make it as much so that he is back in his position before people, you know, because there are people that are going to sit up. So that's yani, a consideration. But the main thing is, is that that's what you're trying to do. But if you're not able to actually achieve it, then at least we know that you're not going to invalidate the prayer. There is some laxity, as Sheikh Uthameen uh, explained. Okay? Uh, and, and the reason why, by the way, just to, again to emphasize why you don't do it, or, uh, why you do it in this position and don't do it in these two positions, in sajda and in sitting, is because these positions have their own adhkar. So, Subhana Rabbil A'la, Subhana Rabbil A'la, and Subhan Quddus, Rabbul Malaikat wa Ruh, all of these uh, adhkar, they are the adhkar of the sajda, and as we're going to find out, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli, adhkar of al Jalsa Bayna Sajdatain, which we're going to explain what that is, the sitting position between the two sajda, that has its own adhkar. So, when you say Allahu Akbar here, you've entered it into the adhkar of this place. When you say Allahu Akbar there, you've entered it into adhkar of that place. That's wrong. That's actually incorrect. And it's not right for you to be making adhkar yani, in a place where it's not meant to be and not doing it in the place where it's meant to be. And the ruling, by the way, of this takbir is wajib. Remember we, uh, we mentioned that when it comes to all of the ahkam of the sharia, they are falling into either sunnah or wajib or a rukan when it comes to the prayer itself or a shart even, a condition. And as with respect to the prayer, this is not a rukan, meaning the prayer is not so damaged yani, that it will not be valid at all. But it is so important that if you don't do it, you have to make sajda sahu at the end. Okay? So it is obligatory. We, just for the sake of, again, uh, emphasis, that if you're praying behind an imam and you forgot to say it, okay? So imagine you're behind the imam and because he goes Allahu Akbar and you're kind of thinking about saying it, but you just don't say it because he kind of says it for you. If that happened, you would not need to do anything at the end of your prayer because mistakes in the prayer are protected by the presence of the Imam. He takes that and he soaks up those mistakes, which is, as we said, is one of the benefits of praying in Jama'ah as much as possible. Okay? يجلس. So, after the first sajda, he sits مفترشن يسراهو يسرار جليه يعني جاعلن إياهك الفراش Why is it called مفترشن? مفترشن because it is in contact with the فراش. فراش is the, the, the floor. Alright, so the floor, because your left foot is in contact with it, okay, and you actually sit upon it, yani, okay, so it's flat and in contact with the floor, that's where it comes muftarishan. That's why it's named like that. And it goes underneath the body and the body sits on it. This is important to understand because later on, when we see in the tashahud, al-awwal and al-akhir, okay, the first tashahud and the other tashahud, the position of this foot, which is muftarishan, okay, will move in the third and the fourth rakah when you're in tashahud. You won't actually sit on this foot. And that is indicating that for a short period of time, your foot can handle the body weight all being on it. But then when you become heavier, for example, or you put on weight, or you become weaker, or your bones are not as good, or you're sitting for a longer period of time, to sit on this foot in this kind of, you know, blood cutting off way, is something which is painful and so we slide the foot out and therefore it comes underneath your body and you don't actually end up sitting on it okay tawarruk which is called which we're going to explain in in another few lessons not now so that's yani the position of the uh, 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 left foot yani it's uh, uh, it's uh, uh, outside of the foot is on the floor and the inside of the actual foot you're sitting on it the right foot nasiban yumnahu 
It is yani up, straight up, nasib. Yani in a state of nasab. Alright? Nasab means in a raised state. Mansoob. When you put something up and you make it straight. Yeah? Um, and this is to be done as best as one's possible. As we said before, we've shown in other demonstrations in the prayer, that the, this becomes more difficult the less you do it. Right? And so, of course, if you start young, one of the best, uh, 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 one of the most important reasons why you start showing people how to pray when they're young is to get their feet comfortable so that they don't you know, create a situation for them later. You'll find many people, of course, that haven't prayed when they were young or they weren't, the parents didn't you know, you know, make that ihtimam upon that. And so, therefore, they can't sit comfortably in the prayer. Then when they want to pray, maybe they haven't reached, if you like, full practicing status where they're praying regularly, regularly. But they're on the way there or they're in and out, in and out. This actually becomes a barrier for them to again, love the prayer because they're in so much pain, one, and they don't know the Islamic rulings with respect to the position of the feet. And therefore, they try and make it actually they make it more difficult upon themselves than they should. So it hurts them. And because it hurts them, they kind of don't you know, feel that you know, a pleasure in the prayer. They're rushing, they don't enjoy the dua part, they're not connecting with the salah. How can they when they're in pain? We would say to these people, of course, that obviously you try to start it early, you keep your, your feet and your body supple all the time anyway. But specifically, if you are in that pain, then you sit flat. These are all sunnah acts of the prayer. They are not obligatory acts. It's not obligatory to have the foot like this, like this, and like this. This is the sunnah. So if you cannot keep your toes up in that position, and you know not even that position, it's not, it's not touching, it's, you know, uh, how do we describe that? Feet curled? Yeah, what would we say? Oh, like that, sorry. Yeah, I'm doing it like that. Yeah, you're right. Like this, yeah. So if these are your toes, it's like that, okay. Uh, what would the, what would that be? Just curled toes, right? So we want to try and keep it in that kind of position where the feet are, where the, the actual, the, the, uh, the, uh, this is obviously what I should be doing, like that, okay. See, obviously I'm not as supple as I should be. So when you're in this position and you're lifting your toes back, your toes are actually still straight. Your foot is still straight towards the Qibla. That's the perfect one. And everything other than that is suboptimal and it's acceptable. So normally what will happen is that the foot will go sideways and back, back, sideways, back until the toes can't yani, bend anymore. So then it's just like this, right? Or the toes are not even up and you're just sitting on it. All of this is acceptable, meaning it is permissible. Meaning if you are unable to follow the sunnah in the prayer, none of this is the sunnah. None of this is the sunnah, okay? This is basically allowed for you because you're in so much pain. You get what I'm saying? Right. So this is what we all know about how to sit in the prayer. Is there any other positions that you can sit in the prayer? Yes, we mentioned this before. This yani, iqa'a yani, or this kind of this, uh, 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 what would we call, uh, uh, we said, we, we described it in our other classes as sitting on your haunches. Yeah. yeah? Haunches, right? When you got your two feet and you're sitting on your toes, and uh, uh, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So when you sit on your haunches, right, that is a position which the scholars discussed and they debated, and you will know, for example, that especially here you'll know, you'll see no one sitting like that in between the sajda. Agreed? And that's because in the Hanafi school, this is completely invalid to sit like this. In the Hanafi school, to sit like this is invalid. And the reason for that, okay, is very well established and correct. The reason for that is because the vast majority of hadith that speak about the seated position of a Muslim in the prayer is always talking about this position, okay? 
we only have very few hadiths that would indicate the opposite. In fact, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says that um, there are some of the people of knowledge they went along with the position that in this position of the prayer the seating between the two sajdas in this position person can sit on his two feet both of them are together and and obviously it's far more comfortable if you're wearing shoes this is far more comfortable as well sometimes depending of course on the bend that you've got okay and why did they do this? Because of the hadith of Ibn Abbas that he said, Inna dhalika huwa sunnah. Ibn Abbas, he sat like this, and that hadith is narrated by a Muslim in the book of Masajid, hadith number 536. And when he sat like that, he said, and that is the sunnah. All right? So let's first of all understand what he did, and then we'll discuss what does it mean by it's the sunnah. First of all, many companions didn't sit like that. First of all, the majority of the hadith do not mention this position. All right, Ibn Abbas is yani, not, I don't say completely on his own, but it's a rare occasion. However, the hadith is sahih. So you are going to have to now deal with this hadith in a way where you either find a way to explain it away or you put it into practice. And if you put it into practice, it's not going to be a major problem because we will accept the hadith and say, yep, it's allowed for you to sit like that, but the normal, no, normal position should be like that. And that's the correct position. Just to give you the conclusion, that's the normal position that you sit like this, but it's allowed for you to continue. It's allowed for you to continue like that. What about the scholars who said it's haram to sit like that? They said because the Prophet ﷺ, he prohibited the, the sitting on the haunches like the sitting of the haunches of the dog. Okay? And so what does that mean? What's the difference between sitting in that position and then sitting in the shahud? I will demonstrate. For you, I'll demonstrate it here. Uh, for the rest of the class, I'm going to demonstrate this in the, the, the lesson of the Shahud. But simply put, okay, simply, we are talking the difference between this, which is what the hadith is referring to is allowed, okay, all right, versus this. Okay, so that is going to be the impermissible position, but this is the one that we are talking about. So... Actually, if you, uh, Ali, if you just hold this, okay, just to the feet, here, yeah. there we go, so this is what we're referring to, okay, this is the allowed one, okay, yes, and then, actually this position even doesn't have a name, but it is an yuka, it is it is, it doesn't have an actual official name, but this is sitting with your toes in this position, and this is between the two sajda. Okay, whereas the one which is prohibited and was going to cause some discussion is when you are laying flat like this in this kind of manner, right? And other versions of that, but I'll speak about that in the Tashahud uh, section, all right? So that is something which is allowed. Now, here's the interesting, here's the interesting thing. If you look at basically what has been said about why did Ibn Abbas say this is the Sunnah, this is the same as what Abdullah ibn Mas'ud did. Show this, let me show this one, okay? Abdullah bin Mas'ud, you know how he used to make ruku'ah? When he used to go for ruku'ah, anybody know? Correct. He used to make tatbiq. Like this. This is the ruku'ah of Abdullah bin Mas'ud, tatbiq. And, and other companions, by the way. Alright? And in actual fact, not only, so not yani, the hands on the uh, knees, but in between. And he used to, he, he stuck upon that position for way after. Haji, huh? 
by the way, I didn't realize. Yani, I don't know why you're covering your, your, your head. We lack a clean-shaven Umrah head. I know you did, Lala. That's what I'm saying. We like to see it, don't you cover your head? I just forgot what I was saying. Yeah, one of the Sheikh told me that this opinion or this uh, thing that he started doing, this he started doing in his old age. That he was uh, very old, and he probably has mistaken started doing like. That. Uh, uh, you know what? Um, uh, for the uh, for the benefit of the camera, uh, Taha said that it's possible that this action of uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud was something that was done much later. Um, so the, the the most important thing is that it was undoubted that he did that, he did. and that he believed that it was permissible. And now the rest of the narrative we can make up however you want. So you can either create that narrative. You can create the narrative that no, there's enough evidence to show that he did this in Medina, that he did this before he went to Iraq, and there's enough evidence to suggest that. There's not just one narration that shows it. And that, and, and that, wouldn't, and that wouldn't therefore take this away. It would also believe that he established it before. There are some that say, I have to say what Sheikh Uthameen says. And what does he say, for example? He says that if you look at... Uh, let me actually translate to you what is the, this paragraph. It's an interesting paragraph. He, sh he says... Um, uh, so the, the scholars who said that you should sit like this in the prayer, they did this because of Abdullah bin Abbas who said that this is the Sunnah. Uh, what is more well known uh, according to the companions of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah, is that that's not the Sunnah. Because the vast majority of the hadith which have been narrated from the Prophet they all describe this particular seated position as iftirash. Okay? And it's not something which is يعني, unreasonable to believe. It's يعني, quite possible to believe that actually what Ibn Abbas is describing is what the Sunnah used to be. That that was the Sunnah in the original time that the position was established. Okay, And, and it was basically the, the, the way of the uh, 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 sitting is like the way of the ruku'ah. Actually, it's the same, if you imagine. Tatbiq, yani of the hands together. This is the tatbiq of the feet together. Does that make sense? So if you're standing in ruku' with your hands together in between your knees, okay, then effectively you've done the same thing when you bring your feet together and you're sitting on it. And this is basically what was happening at the beginning, all right, before it was changed. And the Muslims in the original times, when they used to do that, put their hands between their thighs. And uh, by the way, uh, I, 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 just so that you realize, I, don't, I can't remember now what I did, whether I did it on the knees or not, but it was actually between knees and thighs. Okay, so not so low down. It was quite in between the thighs as well to make it even more looking more strange. Ibn, uh, Ibn Mas'ud, he used to do it, and it was known as Tatbiq. Ibn Mas'ud that's a big statement for Sheikh Uthameen to make. He says, and Ibn Mas'ud carried on doing that, and he did not know that this action was abrogated by the Sunnah. I find this very difficult. That's why I like that other scholars are finding a different narrative, which would suggest that, of course, he knew about this, and he did stop it, because he did know the Sunnah, but then he recognized that its level is something of acceptability, and so he carried on with the action afterwards yani in Iraq when he became old or when he felt that he needed to. So I, I like that. I like the fact that we can make an excuse for Ibn Mas'ud in this kind of uh, uh, way. 
He goes, there's no doubt that this action is abrogated. Yani, there's no doubt about it. That is authentically narrated from the Prophet So therefore, the majority of the scholars of Fuqaha, they only basically accept this position of seating. So you can see that the Hanafi scholars here, they do have a point. And I like it. I like it. I think that in principle, we should avoid as much as possible uh, yani, the doubt in this issue. I, I don't want to say there's doubt in the position, but it's clear that the Muslim Ummah has been brought up by sitting like this in the, uh, in the position between the two sessions. That's how we're comfortable. Sit on the left foot, raise the right foot, and that the hadith would indicate that, the other hadith would indicate that, the sunnah indicates that. However, because the hadith is sahih, Ibn Abbas's narration is sahih, we'll say, okay, if there's a need to, your feet aren't hurt, your feet are hurting, or you want to revive what you think is a sunnah, then sometimes sit like that. Sit with your two feet in this position and don't make it the asal. Don't make it yani, the status quo. Is that clear, everybody? All right. Then Sheikh Uthameen opens up a huge controversy. Huge. He says, our author has not mentioned where the hands should go. He didn't, right? He said that let raise his hand, uh, while he raises his head and stand, sits up, he says, Allahu Akbar. Then he says, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli. Then he goes back down, right? But before we say, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli, we are now sitting down, aren't we? We are sitting down. We've described all the feet in lots of detail. We've described the thing. But he hasn't mentioned the hands. Okay, so what do you think, Yani, is the situation there? What do you think should happen right now with the hands? Other than, of course, what everybody does. Everybody here prays. Everybody knows where you put your hands, obviously. But do you think that the reason that the author didn't mention where the hands go is because what? Why? Because obvious? He's probably going to mention it later. No, no mention later. I think it's obvious because with the child you have to put your hands there. Okay. Wait a minute, what did you just do with your hand? You just said it's obvious to put the hands there because in the tashahud. Are we sitting in the tashahud? No, it's, it's middle of the tashahud. It's not in the middle of the tashahud. We're nowhere near the tashahud. We're in the jalsa bayna sajdatain. Yeah, it's between the two sides, but we can take the, you know, the... Ruling of the tashahud. Yeah. Okay. So therefore it's normal. Yeah. Okay, what's normal then? Describe to me normal. Why did you two do two, three things with your right hand? You put your hat down, then you put it up, then you put it down, then you put it up. What's going to happen with the right hand? It's going to be like this. Oh, right. So in the, between the two sides... No, 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 no. You see? Taha, you're having doubts now. You see, what's happening now is that you're falling for my technique of me putting pressure upon you, and you collapsed. You didn't hold the opposition. A lot of people do that in the between as well. Oh. Jamid El Hadith. Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll come to Rafi Adain in a second. Okay, we'll, let's make sure that we do we cover that tonight as well. And uh, one of our scholars who is very famous, um, just uh, uh, don't recall his name, uh, very, very famous. Um, just not famous enough to not know his name, that's <laughs> <laughs> not so famous. And I forget his name, but what did he say? And he was the only one who used to do it. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I will I will I will tell you about that in a second. Let's 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 finish this. Uh, actually, uh, yeah. Okay. No. Let, let, let's let's do that. Let's let's do that. Okay. Before we talk about the actual position of the hands. Uh, 
And when he would make this takbir, he would sometimes raise his hands. Okay? And this hadith that is being indicated is narrated by Imam Ahmed and by Abu Dawood with an authentic chain. This is the statement of Sheikh Lalbani, by the way. This is Sheikh Lalbani who is now speaking and explaining this point. He is saying that this hadith is narrated by Abu Dawood and by Imam Ahmed with an authentic chain. And this raising of the hands, Ahmed. Yani he's basically indicating that, and, and by the way, a number of the scholars, when they, when they observed, when they physically observed uh, uh, Imam Ahmed, him praying, they used to say that, and Al-Athram said, Al-Athram, who's one of the major yani scholars, he said that every, I, when I was watched Abdullah pray, Abdullah, of course, is always Imam Ahmed, right? Abdullah, when I used to watch him pray, I saw him, he always used to raise his hands with every getting up and getting down, every rise and every fall. Okay, so that would basically mean that when he comes up from sajda, you would go, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. You get the point? So that is yani, what's being indicated, that there is a rafa, yani, down and up, whatever. So that's a big thing. Because as you know, none of the Muslims do that. None of the fuqaha do that. And the reason for that is because it has not been authentically narrated from the Salaf, from the early generations, except very few. And this is one of the problems that we have when a person focuses too much just on the authentic or the, the, just the chain of a hadith and not the wider circumstances. So I want to say to you that the hadith is there. If you consider the hadith to be authentic, then you should sometimes do that. Even the scholars who authenticate the hadith, they fall into a problem because the word Ahyanan is not part of the hadith. Ahyanan is a statement of Sheikh Al-Bani. Ahyanan means sometimes. Okay? So why is he making it sometimes? If you believe in the hadith, and the hadith says that that is what he used to do when he used to get up and used to go down, then you should do it all the time and be comfortable with it. But even the scholars who put it forward, they feel some doubt that this is not the norm. And the reason for that is because of the 100 hadith that have been narrated about the sajda, there is no mention. And those 100 hadith which are in Bukhari and in Muslim and in far more authentic sources and are far more authentic hadith chain-wise, that is, is not established. When that's not established, this hadith at best brings us an additional piece of information which we will say, okay, it's allowed for you to do that and it might be a sunnah or it could be abrogated or it could be permissible, or it should be avoided. It's a mistake, Yani, that yeah. some of the people made. That, that's what I've heard from our That it was a mistake? It, it, it looks like a mistake. It looks like a mistake. Yani, there's no doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt that it's going to be one of these last three or four because of how rarely the hadith occurs or trying to indicate something in such a sea of hadith which are indicating no rafa. So the sunnah, in my opinion, and the opinion of the four Imams and the majority of scholars of Ahlul Sunnah is that there is no rafa, that this hadith is not established and that either due to it being shad or it being a mistake and so on and so forth. And also, by the way, I'll also add something else, which is if you are to believe what Al-Athram said, which is that we used to see Imam Ahmed making takbir with every uh, rise and fall, it could be argued, could be, in my opinion, that every rise and fall does not, because even Athram did not say that between the two sajda. He didn't say that I saw him make it between the two sajda. Right? Even though Sheikh Lalbani says that this yani, raising of the hands has also been narrated. He says, Wa bihi qala ibn al-Mundhir wa abu Ali min al-Shafi'iyya wa huwa qawlan malik wa shafi'i 
وصح الرفع هنا عن أنس وابن عمر ونافع وطاووس والحسن البصري وابن سيرين وأيوب السختياني كما في مصنف ابن أبي شيبة بأسانيد صحيحة عنهم يعني Sheikh Al-Albani he would now up the ante now he says that this action of raising the hands between the two sajda has been authentically narrated from all of the people that I mentioned all of the companions all the tabi'in that I mentioned that's five major companions that's Th uh, two uh, major companions, Anas ibn uh, Umar. Nafi, of course, is the servant of Ibn Umar. He's from the Tabi'een. Tawus from Tabi'een. Al-Hasan al-Basri from the Tabi'een. And Ibn Sirin from Tabi'een. Ayyub al-Istikhtiyani is from Atba'u Tabi'een. So there are one or two people in the generations of the Salaf that he has been narrated from. The fact that that is authentic is subjective. The fact that is that has been narrated from the majority of scholars is clearly not the case. And so what we can say is that either it's been abrogated or it is something which is not authentic and you stick with the position of the majority. Because at least the majority have clear authentic hadith. The other position is at best one hadith which might indicate that it happened in the first place or is abrogated or you include it and only do it sometimes as like the scholars are making their own statement. Now, likewise, we've got the same problem with the sitting in this position of the Bain al-Sajdatayn where to put the hands. Sheikh Uthaymeen is absolutely adamant that a person has to, in, such, in this position, have his finger yani making dua. And his finger, his, his uh, like in tajahud. Obviously, we're going to go into the details of how you hold your fingers and what you point or don't point and when you put it up or not. We're going to do that in the section in tajahud, which is maybe next week or the week after. Okay. However, now the point is, is that Sheikh Uthamin is saying that whenever you are sitting down in the prayer, it's all the same. Your position of the hand cannot be differentiated, whether you are sitting between the two sajda or whether you are not. And that's why I put all the pressure upon Taha and he basically collapsed. Okay? And I was trying to get him to, to, to recant and he recanted immediately. Shaykh Uthamin is saying no, exactly as you suggested in the first place, which is that this sitting is like the sitting of the shahud, therefore everything that happens in the shahud should happen over here. And that's his point. Now, how does he build his case? How does he build his case when we all know that, I mean, other than those who are in Jamiat Ali Hadith circles in, in Pakistan, okay, which is our Numan Amir, okay, right? <laughs> the only, the only Jamiat Yani member, official card carrying member Yani he is, okay? We've tried, we've, we've tried, we've, we've tried to help him make dua for him so many times, um, but no one's listening, so Yani, what can we do? So, other than people who are in contact with that group, actually the majority of the world would have a heart attack if they see someone raise their finger in this position. What they'll think is that this person's forgotten. And he's not even, you know, he doesn't realize there's another subject to make. If he makes another subject, they'll say... <laughs> they'll say, this is a new style, yeah? Uh, so it is true. This is the action of the Imams, the action of the Fuqaha, the action of the Salaf, the action of the vast majority of companions. This is not narrated from the Salaf this raising of the finger. So then you say, okay, where does it come from? Let's, let's develop the case for it. The case is developed by Sheikh Uthameen by saying that, first of all, when it comes to sitting, where do the hands physically go? Not now, not talking about the fingers, where do they physically go? He goes, there are two descriptions that we can put together from the Sunnah. Okay. That he places his hands two hands on his thighs and the fingers are touching the uh, knees. So they're not yani, going over the knee, they're just touching the knee. Like everybody does. Everybody comfortable with that? 
your basic default position when you put your hands on your knees and your hands don't go unclasped. The second position is that you put your right hand on its knee and the left hand on its knee and the neck, the left hand is lower down. And therefore it's like almost grasping the knee. The right one, why can't it be grasping the knee? Because it's going to make the, you get what I'm saying? So we're going to start doing things with the finger so it can't be down there because the hadith indicate that the companions could see what was happening so it couldn't be over there. It needs to be now flatter. So it would be like this and like that. Yeah, that's the second position. So this is what's been narrated. The first one has been indicated in the hadith of Muslim, the hadith number 580, and the one that I'm talking about which the left hand is now actually the left hand is grasping the left knee and the right is on top then this hadith is 579 in the book of masajid narrated by imam muslim as well so the hadith are authentic so now we know when we're sitting in tashahud or sitting down this is the position of the hands with respect to the knee so then what about the actual uh uh uh, uh the, the nature of the hands themselves as for the left hand in all of these scenarios they describe the same flat okay uh, the fingers are outstretched and the fingers point towards Qibla. This is not the time that you open up your hands. The hands are kept, the, the, the fingers are kept together. Alright? The fingers are kept together and not yani open. That is when it's on the knee itself. Okay, that's the left hand. Alright. As for the right, the right hand. So the sunnah indicates that the khinsar and the binsar, this is five fingers, yeah? Right? What do we call it in uh, thingy? In English, we call it little finger? Ring finger? Is it ring finger? Yeah. Middle finger? Index finger? Thumb. Right. Khinsar? Binsar? Wusta, Sababa, Ibham. Thumb is Ibham. Index finger is Sababa. Wusta, the middle finger. The Khinsar, the Binsar, and Khinsar. Urdu? Shorty. <laughs> That's so original. <laughs> Mr. Oh, we speak the most beautiful language. Come on. Chongalia. We'll take that. This one? Come on, Lala. Mr. Chongalia. Chongalia <laughs> Brabarwali. Okay, I'll take that. No, man? No? Your Urdu is not of the required level. That's a bad disaster. The problem is we have to look to who's running our schools. Okay, this one? Beach Wali? Beach Wali? Beach Beach Wali? Beach Wali? Beach Wali? Beach Wali? Beach Wali? Okay then, I'll take that. Okay, this one? Shahadat figure. Yes, I like that. Yes, in that one. Let me tell you something. Because I know that you don't care about Pakistan or cricket or anything like that. So let me tell you about the greatest Pakistani on the planet, Alim Darsab, okay, the yeah. umpire. You know, if you see, if you watch him, he doesn't put, give a cricketer out on the right hand. He gives him out on the left hand. And when he was interviewed about that, he goes, this is reserved, Yani, for the Shahada. Yeah. 
and this one yani for the out or not out might be wrong might not be wrong kya baat hai kya banda zabardast mashallah you should be celebrating this banda yani every day and i see not a single pakistani ever celebrate alimdar me i stand up alimdar walks into the room i would salute him kya banda he was right he's not yani as good as he used to be but anyway chalo right what's this one anguta yeah that's nice chalo theek hai no controversy on that one khalas right so the position is we have hadith which indicate a lot of information about these fingers one of them says that the right the the the, the small and the, the ring finger the two small fingers are rolled up qabd okay and others will indicate that the middle one is also then rolled up with it and that the thumb will either touch this or create a circle like this yeah you happy with that yeah so they will either create a circle with the middle or it will be yani rolled up the three fingers will be rolled up and it will touch right and the right finger will the, the 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 index finger will always be up we will not discuss the movement today and the nature of when it goes up and down today that's not today's uh, subject but now we just want to understand the role of these fingers there are there's no doubt that these two fingers are always curled up that's yani something which is absolute no doubt some hadith indicate this joins it some indicate that this yani becomes a circle creating uh uh hadith uh, the hadith for example huh? yeah creating a circle and uh, you will see that the, the hadith which are very interesting are the ones that for example in sahih muslim where the where the where abdullah bin umar said that when i used to see the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam i used to see 53 okay 53 i'm trying to understand yani how i would do that yeah there we go 53 Everybody is looking at that thinking where's 53. Okay, I will leave that with you. That will now make you make sure that you join the class next week and the week after, you see? Uh, Omar, yeah, I know that you're never watching the class ever again, so you keep watching here, bro, yeah. Yeah. So, especially for Omar and who's never going to put the class on again, he will never know what 53 ever means. Isn't that amazing? His whole life is going to go through thinking what on earth is 53 and then he's going to go bagal in his sleep and he's going to put the video on in 2 weeks time. just to watch what 53 means yes because no one can work out from what i'm showing on my hand what 53 is no you can't 100% no you can't no you can't how about no 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 should do it again which one say again this is the 5 ha come on lala honestly what are you writing are you writing hindu uh, uh, numerals or are you writing in english <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, I will leave you. I will leave you in a suspense. Keep looking at your fingers. Whoever, whoever, whoever gets it right. All right. Not now, but not now. Not now, because we have to carry on the lesson. But whoever gets it right, Norman is going to give them a special prize. Yeah. Norman is going to give them a free ticket. Yeah, need to check Yasser Qadi's uh, uh, thingy, and he's going to pay for it himself. I'm sure, and he'll be delighted to. He'll be delighted to. He'd be so happy. Look at his face. He's so happy. He's thinking, "What a surprise! What a prize! What a opportunity!" Kya ajar? Kya sadaka jariya? Kya kuch kya wa? Anyway, so back to the point. What we know is that these fingers are definitely curled. This one probably is as well, and we are using it. We also have narration that is this, and we also have narration. Watch this. Thumb goes in, and the fingers are grabbed. Okay, so the fingers grab the thumb. So the thumb is now trapped inside. Okay? So we have all these positions. And 
now we need to ask ourselves, this is for tashahud. But in the normal Bayna uh, Sajdatayn, in the Salah between the two Sajdas, can this position be? He says yes. And this is what he would now say. He says that in this position right now, the Sunnah indicates that he will do that to his fingers. He will create that yani, with the Ibham, Ma'al Wusta, and he will lift his that. So he will use the circle from these two, roll up the other two, and indicate with the right hand. Why? Because what was narrated by Imam Ahmed, Imam Ahmed from the hadith of Wa'il ibn Hujar radiallahu an, with a sanad, bi sanadin qala fihi sahib al-fatha al-rabbani, innahu jayyid. That, wa qala fiha al-mahashi, yani al-mahashi by the way means the one who is writing in the margins and giving some notes, al-azad al-ma'ad, who is referring to that is Sheikh Shu'ayb al-Arna'ud. Uh, Arna'ud alayhi rahmatullah is one of the major contemporary muhaddithin. He was a contemporary of Shaykh al-Albani. Uh, Abdul Qadir al-Arna'ud and Shu'ayb al-Arna'ud. Both of them yani, were two of the major muhaddithin that have passed away in the last 10-15 years. Uh, they were the three, the, 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 the trio of the top, top hadith scholars of the world. And they passed, all of them passed away in the last 15-20 years. So these, uh, this muhaddith, uh, 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 Okay, this one who's writing the margins, he considered this hadith to be authentic, as some other scholars did as well. And in this hadith, what does, the, what does it indicate? Wa'il ibn Hujr said that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was in the position of, of, of sitting down, when he was in the jalsa, then his left hand was flat and his right hand was like this. No other hadith indicates this. Every other hadith indicates two flat hands. Okay, indicates. Whereas in this hadith, it indicates that the finger was up. How do we know? Because he then says, and then he went to make sajda. And then he went to make sajda. The vast majority of scholars, they said this is a mistake. This is a mistake. This statement of then he went to make sajda is an insertion and yani a confusion. Not even from Wa'il ibn Hujr, but one of the narrators down the line. Because this hadith has been collected by Abdul Razak al-Sanani. Abdul Razak in his Musannaf, yani the, 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 the chain, this hadith has been narrated by Sufyan al-Thawri. This hadith by Sufyan al-Thawri was then collected by Abdul Razak al-Sanani and it was then collected. If you study this chain, actually it's a great chain. The Sanad is solid. It's very difficult to say this hadith is weak yani from its chain. Which is why the vast majority of scholars that did not act according to this hadith, they said that this hadith is shad. It is odd. It's odd because it's going against all of the other hadith. The other hadith are more authentic, more stronger, none of them mention it, and we cannot make this hadith weak. And by the way, this is the correct methodology, by the way. This is very good. Whenever you find a contradicting opinion, you don't outright reject it. First thing, we go and we try to make it authentic. If it's not authentic, then it doesn't even enter into the discussion in the first place, because then it's disqualified. Then if it's weak, then it's weak. Don't come and you know, dis disturb the situation. Problem here is that the hadith is very difficult to say it's weak. And so if the hadith is authentic and we need to discuss it, then we need to try to make jama, to make reconciliation, try to make it yani, some kind of you know, position. What's going to be the easiest uh, uh, jama? What's going to be the easiest jama? The easiest jama is going to say that when you are sitting down, when the hadith mentions jalsa, then this is always referring to tashahud. And when it's not referring to the finger moving, then this is referring to the normal jalsa between the two sajda. You get my point? And so therefore, for example, there's another hadith that's narrated by the Prophet ﷺ, that he would lift his hand and make dua with it every time he sat down. I repeat, he would lift his hand and make dua with it every time he sat down. 
So therefore they said, well, if he's sitting down, every time he sat down, then that means Bain is Sajdatain as well. That means that he should be lifting his finger. You get the point? And so Sheikh Uthameen is saying that these hadith, they have to be applied across the board. They can't just be made specific. Yani, uh, when the scholar said, and this is going to go into a full page, he goes that if you are going to say that just because the hadith, the, other, the, the, the general hadith mentioned that he did this in tashahud, that that disqualifies it from being in every sitting, that the specific is specifying the general, he goes, that's not always the case. He goes, sometimes it's possible for a ruling to apply to every sitting and the specific has something different. But it doesn't, or, or, or this way, the specific is being specified for one reason without trying to say that it doesn't apply to the general. Does that make sense? So he, he gives an example. He goes, uh, the first example is, if I am to say to you, um, reward the student. Akrim al-talaba. Okay, reward the student. Alright? Sorry, reward the students. So give them prizes. This is general, and it includes all the, the students. And then I say, but give Taha a special prize. So if I say, give all the students a prize, but I, give, I say, give Taha a special prize. Or, or I just say, give Talha a prize. Let me keep it simple, not special. Let me not change the wording. Give everybody a prize. Give Talha a prize. When I say that, does this basically mean that when I say give, when I make the statement, give Talha the prize, does that mean that I have negated my first statement to not give everyone else a prize? Answer is no. This is Sheikh Uthameen's argument. That once I've said that, so his argument therefore is, if you accept this example, then when I say to you, make this in every sajda, in, in every sitting, and then I tell you, do it in your tashahud, why did it suddenly cancel out every sitting? Does that make point? Does that make sense? If I say to you, give all the students a prize, give Talha a prize, it just means I'm gonna give Talha a prize and I'm still gonna give everybody else a prize. Likewise, that if it says in the tashahud, this is what you do with your finger, then it means that is what you do with your finger, but it still is raised in the rest of the sitting. This is Sheikh Uthameen's uh, example. He goes that the only time, the only time that the specific cancels out the general is if I say, give everybody a prize, and then I say, don't give anybody a prize other than Talha. Does that make sense? I now have specified Talha and I have made Talha, Taha, I've been calling him Talha all this time, right? I've specified Taha and I've said to everybody else that you can't have it. Meaning it has to go against the original ruling. The statement needs to negate. And because the statement does not negate, Sheikh Uthameen, he has now found for himself a principle. And this principle is not as widespread as he would make it. The proof of that is that he goes, I learned this principle. He goes, He goes, this principle in Usul, in, in the, the rules of fiqh, used to be always mentioned by Imam al-Shawkani, who is one of the Yemeni scholars of the last couple of hundred years. He wrote the book, Nail al-Autar. And by my, one of the, the contemporary scholars, Sheikh Muhammad Amin al-Shanqiti, who used to be the teacher of Sheikh uh, Ibn Baz, the one who did the tafsir of Adwal Bayan. He goes, they used to mention this uh, asal a lot. So he's indicating that it's not the norm amongst the usuliyin, if you like. Because we will say the opposite. We will say that when something is mentioned, like for example, that this is what happens every time he sat down, and then we have a hadith, this is what happened when he was in tashahud, the answer for us is there, no problem. It means that it only happens in tashahud. 
that this is the specific yani, explanation of the general hadith. Does that make sense what I just said? So now you know why the scholars differ over this issue. Sheikh Uthameen though is sticking to his guns. He's basically saying that no, this hadith cannot be made weak. It, uh, it, the hadith itself is authentic. He's given himself yani, a different kind of angle as well by saying that the finger is lifted in, in every seated position. We respond to that and say that no, that is referring to tashahud because it's, it's only ever mentioned later in tashahud. And with respect to the hadith of then he went into sajda, we're saying this is a mistake. It's clearly a mistake because... When it comes to a hadith, it's not just a statement. We've got to see who acts upon it. We don't have a single companion narrated that, that, that did this. We don't have anything from the tabi'een authentically or the salaf or whatever that are actually something for us to go with. And Sheikh Bakr Abu Zaid, alayhi rahmatullah, he was a great scholar, great scholar of Saudi. He has an amazing book because it's La Jadid Fi Ahkam Salah. This book, I mean, he wrote, you know, he, used to, he was a qataha humbly like proper humbly and he used to get very upset with the whole kind of Salafi approach to fiqh that everybody comes and brings a hadith and they yani, just bring up a new action and so on but he was from the senior scholars of Saudi we're talking like at the level of the teachers of Sheikh Uthameen and so on he used to sit on the the uh, the board of ifta and the legend of Daima and he was the rebel if you like you know he always used to shake up yani, the things he was also the first scholar who you know outright refuted the madkhali kind of da'wah that kind of, you know, that neo-Salafi type of approach that was very extreme. He is one of the first people who wrote a book about that, who, who lectured about it, or an essay, I should say, and so on. He had this book that there is no new rulings in the prayer. Okay, it's a very famous little book. And in it, he covers the little things that people do that are, have no basis, even though they are based upon hadith. Now, um, he writes about this issue, and for him, this is a clear bid'ah of the prayer. Sheikh Lalbani, for example, he also said this is definitely a bid'ah of the prayer. The bid'ah of the prayer to keep your finger in this position is, is you know, something which is unacceptable. Now, I'll tell you something interesting, okay? The reason why I'm not going to go there, and I'm not going to be that harsh, even though scholars before me have said that, and I, I could just quote them, and that's it. I, I, just to make it clear, this is Sheikh Uthameen's own position, not the position of the Hanbali school, and it's not the class position either. So when it comes to the notes, I want it to be made clear that this is the class position, that it is not to be lifted. The class position is like the four fuqaha and the major imams, the, the fingers are flat, okay? But I will say this, that if you step back and just think about it naturally, what Sheikh Uthameen is saying, he's basically saying that whenever you're sitting down, your natural position should be that, because it's the position of the shahid. I was thinking about this not recently, uh, a good five, maybe ten years ago, when I think it was Yahya, I think, my second son, okay, um, when I noticed him praying, I noticed that he had his finger up in the, the sajda, between the two sajdas. And I never used to say anything. And I know that he's not getting that from his mom, he's not getting that from his dad, he's learned his prayer from us, right? Everyone around him is praying with the fingers down. He's not reading any Jamid Ali Hadith books. I made sure that they're banned in our house, yeah? Okay? Those lectures yani, are on block. Yes, so he's not getting that bad influence. Right? No, that's Zabardas influence, mashallah. No, nothing. Right? So where is that coming from? What do you think? I do think that there is an argument that Sheikh Uthameen is making that this is the natural position. Yani, of course, it's not natural. Your hands are natural. Your hands should be out flat. But if you have got used to the idea that when you're in tashahud, your finger is like this all the time, then a kid, at the innocent kid basic level, 
he would need to be told, don't do it in the sajda. Does that make sense? If he's being told all the time that you've got to do in tashahud, you've got to lift it up, then he's being told, don't do it. So just, yani, I'm just, I'm just putting that a little bit out there to say, I don't want anyone to be criticizing someone that you see that has this finger. It's no doubt against the sunnah, in, our, in my opinion. It's not the correct position. It's not the position of the fuqaha. It's not whatever. But there is an argument on the other side. And that argument on the other side is not just some, some airy, yani, airy fairy nonsense. There's a hadith involved. There's some fiqh involved. There's usul involved. And there's also some aql involved. Some common sense, natural, whatever. So we'll accept it as a matter of ishtihad. We believe that they are wrong with the faint possibility of being right. We believe we are very right, the vast majority, with the faint possibility of us being wrong. Is that clear? Let's take some questions on that. Yeah. Between the two sajdas, yes. I'm talking about between two sajdas. Only between the two sajdas is what I am uh, referring to. All right, folks. So I think we can... Uh, all right, let's actually just uh, finish off by saying what do we say. So now we know that we're sitting down. Now that we're in this position, a person has said takbir. And we know that it is obligatory for you to get back and sit down and for your limbs all to rest. So you should feel your weight settle down on your feet. You should feel the pressure. All the limbs go back and you enter into a state of tumatnina. This is in the hadith of Bukhari, of the hadith of Al-Musi fi salatihi. The one who made the mistake in his prayer, the Prophet ﷺ rejected his prayer two times and made him pray three times, made him pray again because he was not going back. And we know about this, our Afna log, Desi log, we see that all the time, that when they make their prayer, they go like this and they go down again. As, like, as if it's like haram to sit back up. You know, just like touch it and then go back down. Some don't even yani, straighten their back. It's absurd. You have to get back, sit, breathe. Their body has to go up and exhale. Because the exhaling is what allows the body to settle. If you were to hold your breath, that wouldn't be good enough. If you were to come back up and hold your breath and go back down, your body doesn't relax. There needs to be some respect for this position. Not just because it's a rukan that you sit down and relax. Not just because the hadith indicated it is a rukan because the hadith, the Prophet rejected the prayer as a result of this. But there's another reason. This is a position of du'a. Its actual meaning, this position, is an opportunity for you to make du'a in a different, fresh kind of way. Remember that when you're in sajda, that is the, the place that you make the most amount of du'a possible. The Prophet ﷺ said, فَأَكْثِرُ فِيهَا الدُّعَا So increase as much as you possibly can in du'a because you are closest to Allah. You are closest to your Lord. And we feel that. When you're in sajda, you feel so weak, so incapable, so broken, so this is it, let me now go. And you speak to Allah like you recognize you as a servant, Him as the Lord. And so you express. But when you get back up, you know it's very interesting, subhanAllah, that this getting back up, it didn't need to happen. You could have, Allah could have yani, legislated the prayer and leave it as one sajda, and then stand back up, you know, into the next rak'ah. And even we didn't even need to do that. We could just sit back up and finish the prayer. But if you notice the prayer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only legislated it for you to then have to now sit back up and then get back down again, but not just that, but also sit back up and then stand back up and then go back down again. Almost to indicate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not trying to humiliate you in this prayer. That it's just an act of humiliation. But rather that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you that when you go down for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah also wants you to stand up for Him as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to have that self-value as well. To recognize this is not just about destroying you and making you look like you're useless and whatever, even though that this is a complete position of submission. That's actually showing you of what life should be as well. A number of scholars mentioned this, and it is well understood if you actually look at this, that this is what's happening. It's not random. 
there's clearly yani, intention behind this act of going back up and then going down and then yani, that you are meant to rise after a fall and that the believers are meant to be people who are strong and proud and so on. And we take advantage of that position. So when you come up now here, you're in a different state of mind. You're still in salah, but you're not in as submissive state as when you're in sajda. And the dua change. So we know for a fact that the Prophet ﷺ said, Rabbi ghfirli, ghfirli, in one narration. Another narration. Rabbi ghfirli, Rabbi ghfirli. In another narration. Allahumma ghfirli, ghfirli. In another narration. Allahumma ghfirli, Allahumma ghfirli. That's the weakest of them. So there is a focus on ighfirli, oh Allah forgive me, and the name changes, my Lord, oh Allah, and all of these are acceptable. Then of course we have the hadith which are authentic, Allahumma ghfirli, in addition to warhamni, wa'afini, warzuqni, wajburni, okay, wahdini. We have a number of ahadith that when you combine them, add all of these extra lines. The order of these, by the way, one of the uh, interesting points, by the way, that people ask, you know, when I make dua, do I have to say it in order? Do I have to say things in order when I make dua? Is it is the, the wording of the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu for example, uh, 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 think of an example. Allahumma inna ka'afoon tuhibbul afwa fa'afu anna or fa'afu anni. I've changed the meaning around. Would you agree? No, sorry, I've changed the order around. So I said, Pardon me, pardon me. You love pardoning. The dua though is, Allahumma innaka The dua is in that order, correct? Okay, however, I've changed it. Is it permissible to do so or not to change the order? The answer is that the most rewarded and best act is to copy the Prophet ﷺ exactly. However, <coughs> it is permissible to change the order if there's a need. Or you can't remember. Or yani, it's a certain mood thing. Or whatever it is. On odd occasion. It is permissible. One of the reasons or one of the side evidences that the scholars give is this position here. The ahadith which tell us the content of this dua are different orders. And there are different hadith which don't have some of the words, others have the words. Others have all of them and it has one order, others have different <laughs> order. So all of this combined allows us to understand that, okay, we can be flexible. So when you're in this position, I want all of you, and this is going to be a takeaway point, all right, from this lesson. Every single person in this room has got to now increase in their prayer, at least the statement, Rabbi Ghfirli, Rabbi Ghfirli, before they go back down to sajda. This is a beautiful hadith. And a beautiful meaning, an extra reward. And by the way, in the Hanbali school, in the madhab of the Hanbalis, it's an obligation. A person doesn't do this in the prayer, the prayer is not valid. Yani if you didn't make the sajda afterwards. However, the majority say, no, it's just a sunnah. And that's probably the correct position. However, its meaning is good. To be able to now sit in a fresh position and say, Rabbi Aghfirli, Rabbi Aghfirli. And also, Sheikh Uthameen makes a point here. He goes that when you look at actually, and I, I like what he says here. He goes that if you look at the wording here, you'll see that, uh, 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 the wording, if you, if, you, if you slow yourself down, the whole point is to slow the prayer down and you start to think about what you're saying, you'll feel so much more uh, uh, connection with the prayer. So when you say Rabbi Ghfirli, when you say Rabbi as opposed to just Ghfirli, my Lord, you make it personal, Allah is watching, Allah is listening, my Lord, Ghfirli, send your Maghfira upon us. What's Maghfira? The Maghfar is the helmet, isn't it? 
The mirfar is the helmet. What does the helmet do? It protects yani and it hides. It protects and it hides. So when you ask, when you make istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what you're asking is that, Ya Allah, you know my, my, my sins, so cover them, just like the helmet covers the head, the mirfar. And likewise, yani, the, 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 the sayyid effect, the negative effect of the sins, protect me from that. Protect me from being hit again. Protect me from being affected again. This is the benefit of istighfar, that protection. Afu is the removal of it completely. The Afu is the removal of it completely. In this one, we're asking Allah to, forget, to, to protect us from the sins and hide it. Warhamni. Warhamni, to have mercy upon me, Ya Allah, allow me to get something which I don't deserve. So what you're doing is that with istighfar, you're taking away that which is going to push you away from Jannah. And when you're asking for rahmah, ya Rabb, give me the right to go to Jannah even though I don't deserve it. Does that make sense? That's why you'll see these two words always used together. One yani fixes the problem, the other one achieves that which you couldn't get by yourself. Does that make sense? One fixes, one puts you up. And here's a very interesting and important rule <laughs> that Sheikh Uthameen again emphasizes. In the Arabic language, there are certain words that mean the same thing when used in isolation, but when ishtama'a iftaraqa. Yani what does that mean? It means that when the word maghfira is mentioned, when we say astaghfirullah, by astaghfirullah we mean, oh Allah, get rid of my sin so it didn't even exist. Oh Allah, forgive me for my sin, even if it's still there. Oh Allah, protect me from the negative effect of the sin. Oh Allah, give me your mercy as well. Oh Allah, give me jannah. It means everything. Okay? Idhaftaraqa ishtama'a or jama'a. Yani they used to say that when the word is used in isolation, it has a very comprehensive combined meaning. But if and when we say, Yani, Ya Allah, have mercy upon me. Ya Rahman, Irhamni. When you say that, you also mean, Oh Allah, forgive my sin, remove my sin, send your mercy upon me. Yani, the words become very comprehensive. They mean the other word. But if there's a sentence where both words are used together, then they take on the specific aspects. Istighfar then now, maghfirah now focuses on the removal of the sin. Rahma, Yani, focuses upon the achievement of Jannah. And then, Warzukni, Ya Allah, give me rizq. Risk for this dunya and risk for the akhirah. The risk of this dunya, of course, is everything that we need on a daily basis. And the risk for the akhirah is to give us good deeds, good niyyah, good yani akhlaq, that will allow us yani, to succeed in the akhirah. And afia, afia is health. Afia is protection. So when we ask for afia, when we wa'afini, when this, uh, this has two applications. Either you are ill or you're not ill. If you're not ill, it's protection from illness. If you are ill, then it's curing from that illness as well. And wajburni. Wajburni is very important because we're in a position where we've just stood up and realized that every single person is broken. Every single person is broken. Everybody thinks, you know, subhanAllah, you know, there's a big revival now about the awareness of mental depression, mental health, yani issues. For the longest time, especially Desi folks, us not up, not yani, we didn't even think, what kind of illness is, is mental anyway? That's just yani, low iman, that's just you being weak, that's you just being lame, and all the rest of it. Which is absolute nonsense. It's an actual illness. Every single person suffers in some kind of way. If they don't have a physical illness, then they have some kind of mental illness. If they don't have yani, a certain type of... Uh, 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 they become sad too much. They become hopeless too much. They are too, uh, uh, they're too stingy, for example. They're too cowardly. These are illnesses. The Ill illness, by the way, doesn't necessarily have to be physiological. When we say mental and physical illness, we're talking about physiology. But there are spiritual illnesses as well. When you, when you call upon the person who does ruqya, okay, the raqi, the raqi itself is curing both types. The raqi is curing a spiritual illness and curing a physical illness as well. 
It's a holistic approach to, med to medicine. So for example, a person in the Hadith of Bukhari, the famous one, when the, the tribe leader, he became ill, it was a real physical illness. The companions, yani, they were not allowed, you know, as you know the famous hadith, they came to the, they were traveling, they said, can you give us some mehmanawazi, yani, a little bit, right? And look after us and host us. They said, no, we don't know who you are, we're not letting you in. So they made them camp on the edge of the tribe, of the, of the, of the you know, the jagah, the area. They wouldn't let them in. So no food, no nothing, a miskin intense outside. The guy in the night time, the, the chief, he becomes so ill. And they tried everything and they can't fix him at all. And so one of them says, listen, those Arabs outside, they look like, yani, you, know, bit, yani, you know, people, they have, might know a few things. And what do you think we go over there and we ask them? So one person does. And the spokesman for the companions, he says that, I'll do that, but it's going to cost you X amount of sheep. This is what it's going to cost you. Because, you know, simply put, if you had invited us in, we would have yani, looked after you. But the way that you treated us, then we're going to do it as a paid service. This is, by the way, why it's allowed to charge for ruqya. Okay, it's allowed for a person to charge for this. He goes in, he recites Fatiha on him, cures him. They're delighted, they give him the sheep. The Prophet ﷺ later on, when he hears the story, very happy, takes his share as well, yani, smiles all around. What do we learn? That uh, the Fatiha is a spiritual statement, but it can cure physical illnesses. It can also cure those illnesses which are not yani, that of a physical nature, such as sihar, such as X, such as Y, which is yani, from a different dimension. It can also cure the spiritual illnesses and weaknesses of everyone, which is not an illness per se, but when someone's sad and they hear the Fatiha, okay? And it is the Shifa, all right? As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ And a mercy to the believers. So everybody is broken at some point. How broken you are, who knows? وَجْبُرْنِ Ya Allah, fix me. Ya Allah, strengthen me. This dua is an indication of our broken state. It's very important to recognize that. That when you're in salah, you are in this submissive, broken yani, position in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anyway, these yani, uh, uh, dua uh, should be done and, should, and time should be spent. And a sunnah that people don't do anymore, by the way, is that they don't take their time in this position. If the imam elongates this position, everyone thinks he's forgotten. And we know that we have hadith that, that, that narrated authentically that the Prophet is sitting and standing and ruku and sujood used to be the same as his qiyam in the night prayer. Okay, in the night prayer, all of these positions used to be the same length. So imagine yani, the length of Fatiha and a surah. Now there are a number of scholars that have tried to explain what this means, but it's a serious long time, that's the point. So we should yani, try to increase it, best in our personal capacity, not when you're leading others, because that's not right, that you know, Banda comes yani, you know, for dhuhr and you start knocking out yani, half an hour jalsa between sajdatain. He needs to go home and eat ganashana, he needs to go back to work and you're doing yani, your sunnah. Yani, can you do it in your own nafil please and don't kill us as well. So there needs to be some balance in that as well. So that's, that's enough I think for the, the session. We've covered that the uh, uh, sunnah is to not yani, keep your hands in this position but rather that they're flat. That a person should make dua, Rabbi ghfirli warhamni wa'afni wahdini wajiburni warzukni yani, in any of these orders and do it as much as possible and to slow down the salah. That's the main point. All right, questions, folks. Any further questions that we didn't cover during the class? Yes. For this one? Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you're reading the, the longer one? Yes, class, yes. Yes. Do we have to cover everything? No, or? I don't think so. No. Yani, the obligatory minimum you should see is Allahumma ghafirli or Rabbi ghafirli. It's like what we say about the sajda. Subhana Rabbi al-Azim in ruku' and Subhana Rabbi al-A'la in the uh, sajda is the asal 
and it's never replaced by Subhan Quddusun or Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, yeah, or whatever the, the, the uh, other extra yani, dua you want to make. It's never replaced, it's only added to. And these additions, if you increase them all the way, it's better. And if you only add one or two, then it's good enough. But the asal always remains. Yes. Any dua in the sajda. And if a person is struggling and doesn't know enough Arabic, then they can make it in Urdu. They can make it in another language. Any dua. Any dua. No, no, any, any dua. Even we allow people to use a Quranic ayah in dua, even though you're not allowed to recite Quran in sajda. But because the du'a is something a bit special, we allow that. Yeah. Uh, is it enough to say once, like Rabbi or should we say twice? Or so this is a matter of khilaf. Good question. Is it enough to say just once, Rabbi just once, or should it be said twice? It say? seems uh, 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 increasing is no problem. Three, four, five, whatever. That's the only du'a is open. But the minimum is a, a matter of dispute. And in my opinion, it should be minimum twice. The scholars all mentioned yani, uh, as per the hadith, it should be twice. Wallah alam. Yeah. Can we uh, increase that as well? Yes, as I just said, you would add dua to it but not replace it. So you well, add subhun uh, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Odd increases. So five, seven, nine, one is a minimum, three is the optimum. Subhana Rabbi al A'la, Subhana Rabbi al A'la, Subhana Rabbi al A'la, and then bare minimum is one, optimum is three. And Sunnah is to increase and decrease to, to add some meaning to the Salah, to actually make it meaningful. Yeah? Yes? Yeah. Um, so, this is a good question. Can we add a word which is not narrated in the Ahadith, alright, that are about this position? Okay, you understand that? Can we add a word that is not narrated in the hadith that talk about dua in this position? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, what do you call it? Dua is tawqifi or ibadah is tawqifi or the positions that we take yani in salah are tawqifi. There's no doubt that you are not allowed. Tawqifi basically means that we cannot add acts of worship to an act of worship. We can't change it. We know that. But you're going to turn around and say, I'm not changing it. You are the one who just told me that this is a position of dua. And you've given me a whole load of dua to say in it. So surely I should be able to add dua. What would you say back to that? Anybody who would like to argue against it? Yeah. It's a sunnah to keep the words that is given. Okay. But you can. It's not impermissible to add a word. Okay. If I was to say to you, what's the difference between what you just said for the sajda, for sitting between the two sajda, and being in the sajda? So let's say someone asked you about being in the sajda, can I add Allah Surni, for example? What would your response be? Yes. yes. There would be no need for any explanation, right? No need for anyone even to think about it. Why not? It can be. Why, why can it be any dua? Because it's not a no, no, no. What? Correct. We have a clear hadith which indicates go for it. You know what I'm trying to say? So we have hadith where the Prophet tells us what to say. Subhanahu rabbil a'la and so on and so forth. And then, and for example, Allahumma fillah dhanbi. Ya'ani diqqahu wa jillahu wa alaniyatuhu wa sirra. Ya'ani we have specific dua that the Prophet used to make. 
And on top of that, he then says, Now increase whatever dua that you can make. Dua is left in an unrestricted way, and bam. So, there is a difference between the sajda and the seating in between the two sajdas. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm trying to say? There is a difference between Samiyallahu liman hamida rabbana wa lakal hamd. Now what do we say? Hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi. What else do we say? Okay, what else can we say? Mil as-sama'i wa mil al-ardi wa mil amashid min shayin ba'd. Ahlathanai wal majda. Haqqma qala abba kullana lak abba. Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayt. Allah, there's a number of dua that that comes in. Do you feel, my question to you, do you feel that you can now make lots of dua? Why not? Even though the Prophet has started making dua. But you get the feeling now, yeah? Right. Do you feel that way between the two sajda? Do you feel that way when you're at the end of the prayer just before you say Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah? You see there's a difference of feeling? Now there is something to be said about this. If after Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, after Durud Sharif you finished, you know your parents teach you first of all, Rabbana atina fi dunya? Okay. They teach you Rabbi Jal muqim salati? Okay. These two dua are the two weakest from hadith points of view. From a hadith point of view, okay, if you're looking at the sunnah, if you're doing this from a hadith point of view of what are the optimal dua to say uh, before taslim, what should be said, the two that you just put forward, which are actually ayat of Quran, okay, but to be used in this position, in this manner, at this time, in this way, if we were to grade them on an authenticity level in terms of sunnah practice, probably a two or three or a one or whatever. What would be a ten? Correct. Allahumma inni zulamtu nafsi zulman kathira. Okay. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrik wa shukrik wa husna ibadatik. Those du'as that you didn't learn from your parents and that you're not taught, but are they, are, they are actually more. Now, what are you already feeling? You're already feeling that there's some flexibility here. You hear what I'm trying to say? So what I want to say, and I'm going to get into this not properly now, but in, in the next two sessions, that there are positions in the prayer that are for du'a, but they are not all the same. And the most open-hearted one is the sajda. So much so that we have the confidence, even though I'm terrified of this statement, but my teacher says it, so I, 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 I promote it, okay? That English can be used even in the fard prayer. Me, I say English can be used, or, and by extension Urdu and any other language, in the nafal prayer. But I don't like to say in the fard prayer. Sheikh says, who praises nafal prayer these days anyway? But it's true, isn't it? Yani sunnah nafal is now disappeared now. You know, it's only your mom and dad who praise sunnah nafal, isn't it? And your grandparents yani, who praise sunnah nafal. As for us, our generation, very little. Very, very little. So the idea is, is that if we restricted yani, a proper heartfelt dua to only their sunnah nafal, they're never going to actually get, to get it done. Now, that's the kind of negative thinking, but still, that's what they said. So now you've got people doing it in their fard prayer. And I, I'm not going to say it's haram. But I'm saying that to give a scholar the confidence to give that fatwa is because he feels that he'll allow it. Ask that same scholar whether he allow you to do it in the Bain of Never. When he's standing up, never. Ask him whether he'll allow you to do it via, at, the, at the end of Taslim. 
he will think about it. But the vast majority will say no. I will say no. No way. No way. Now the person will say, okay then, I need another part in the prayer where I can open up and I can really make du'a. That's easy. It's going to be that same position. Before the taslim. You're going to go and smack it. You're going to bring so much in. You're relaxed. It's a nice, comfortable position. Before, and we know from the hadith that this yani, used to be long. The tashahud yani, used to elongate. Clearly the Prophet is making more dua, more dua, more dua. So what I want to say is that when you measure the dua positions, sajda is number one, before taslim is number two, and everything else is number three. You should keep it restricted. So uh, after ruku'ah, after sajda, I advise the people to stick to only that which is narrated. And not to add an increase. And I will not say it's haram if you did. But it's best to stick to what is there. And the other two you can open up. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Any other questions? Yeah. That's right, you do the action. If you're praying in a jama'ah, you follow the imam after. You don't go before. Ah, good. So, so does that mean, therefore, that you have to delay so much that when the Imam says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, that you have to wait for both to be finished? The answer is no. We've said that this is before in the previous lessons. This is a mistake that a person yani, is to follow the Imam, not go before him. That's the, the, the key. So, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. That's yani, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the microphone, by the way. I'm not the Imam, I'm the follower. But I heard, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So it's clear that I have not got in front of the Imam and I'm following him and I'm after him. This delay is unacceptable because that requires an evidence. Nowhere is it to be said that the Prophet told the companions that do not make the salam before I actually finish it completely. We just got to make sure we don't get in front of the Imam. So while the Imam is saying this like for any of the movements, yes. So it's that. So the question is, is that if, when the imam makes takbir, do we have to wait until they get to the final position? It's not about the imam getting to the final position. It's making sure that you get to that position, not before the imam. That's the only the main thing that you got to focus on. At the same time, you shouldn't delay it so much that you will not move until that person is so much yani, in that position there and they're already there, and then you risk, for example, by you getting there and then the imam is getting back up again. You get what I'm trying to say? Because you waited so, so long. So this delay cannot be so much that it becomes a proper thing. It's just got to be that you're going to follow the Imam and make sure that yani, you go into that position following him. Just don't get in front of him. And remember that the sound is following the action. The action is our focus, not the sound. So sometimes the speakers might go. Sometimes you can't hear anything. Sometimes yani, the Imam forgets to say it loud. That doesn't mean you just stand there. As long as the Imam goes to the position, you go to the position. You're not waiting for the sound. Okay, that's important. Alright, folks? Alright. Zakamullah khair, subhanakallahumma bihamdik, ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfirullahumma wa atubu alaik. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.